Oh man, was that a heartbreaker? Catch the ball, Evan Ingram. Big Blue is now a lowly one and six. We look back at a devastating Giants 22-21 loss to the Eagles in Philly. Who are we pointing the finger at for this one? We also chat about where the Giants are at right now with longtime NBC New York sports reporter, the savvy veteran, Bruce Beck. Buckle up for a brand new episode of Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to Blue Rush wherever you get podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. Please give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your support as we bring you two episodes all season long. Special Friday edition. We'll be back next Thursday to preview the Bucks game. Joining the show today is longtime NBC New York sports reporter, the great Bruce Beck will drop by in the second half. Your host of Blue Rush are Paul Schwartz and Lawrence Tynes. And guys, obviously a lot to get into today, but man, Evan Ingram is still walking back from Philadelphia, guys, after that drop pass. Well, listen, it, there's a bunch of other things uh, that happened in this football game, but certainly we can talk about that play for sure. Um, but lots of things happened here. And I, uh, to me, this will always be a culture thing. This team still does not know how to win football games when they have a lead. Do you agree with that, Paul? Oh, there's no question. Uh, I call it the anatomy of a disaster. You know, I've covered a bunch of these. This is yeah. not the worst. It's the worst because it's the most recent. But there are games where you look at and you say, Show me how they lost because it doesn't seem like there's any way they could have lost. And then you have to go back to whatever you think the furthest point is and say, okay, this is where they had the lead. This is how much time was left. And then you say, okay, check, 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 check. And if any of those five checks are X'd off, the Giants win. If all five are still checks, the Giants lose. And that's what happened. Ending with Evan Engram. Uh, I call this game, this was the Daniel Jones flop and the Evan Engram drop. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, and and, and look, the, the Daniel Jones flop we'll talk about that, you know, that 80 yard run. Lawrence, I think you're still chuckling about that, aren't you? I just can't stop <laughs> laughing about it. I mean, there was a moment there, like I, like I, we talked about earlier, he's running so hard and, and it looks like he just like craps his pants. He blows a hamstring and then he falls down. Have any I of just, you got, have any of you guys, you know, the, the chariots of fire music? Right. I mean, listen, I can't wait to make more memes today because I'm not done. Twitter, I am not done making memes with this. I'm going to add music. I've added calendar months. I've added uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, mountains on his back. See, I am and, not done. And here's the problem with that, okay? is First of all, in the frame of the game, him running 80 yards, which is remarkable. He was, what, 21 miles an hour, fastest quarterback in the last three years. Yeah. He gets tripped up at the 15-yard line by his own feet. And he goes down at the eighth. But the Giants score, Wayne Goldman scores four plays later. It had no effect on the game. But that should be a funny moment, which it obviously is funny because you can't stop laughing about it. But it should be a funny moment that Daniel Jones laughs with his buddies and his teammates about because the Giants won a big game yeah. in Philly. You know what I mean? So it's all kind of like. It's like, you know, having something really funny in a funeral. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't laugh. I can't laugh. You know yeah. what I mean? This team sucks the life out of people, out of fans, 
out of players, out of coaches, because they did so much good. Sterling Shepard comes back, touchdown. They're up 21-10. He gave the team a great spark. 21-10, and you look at it and you say, oh, my gosh, they're going to be a half a game out of first place. Shepard is back. Daniel Jones is playing well. The defense is playing well. They got a little something cooking here. And then, you know, a half hour later, disaster area. Yeah. You know, the one drive that that the Eagles scored late on was just too easy. You know, we talked about Ryan Lewis with the illegal contact and then obviously giving up the big play. That, to me, is where this game was lost. Everyone can point to Evan Ingram dropping the football, and that's fine. But that two plays, two plays in that series was kind of like for me where I was watching a game. I said, OK, that's it. That this is this is bad because you give them a first down and then you give them another chunk play 55 yards down the field or however long it was. And you cannot the one thing you can't do in that situation is get beat deep. You have a 11 point lead. You have to keep everything in front of you. And I don't know how he got behind him, but he did. And that's where the tide turned in this football game. Well, you know what? It's at some point in every game, Lawrence, tell me if you agree with this. When you have a lead, you are not playing the opponent. You are playing the clock. Now, in baseball, there is no clock. I get that. But so you're playing for a certain amount of outs. You are playing the clock. So you look at this. The Eagles came down the field and went 79 yards, as you said, 78 yards in one minute and 39 seconds. How does Ryan Lewis get beat deep? Because he's not Darrell Revis and he's not James Bradbury. He is Ryan Lewis. That has been a constant source of problems all season. That second cornerback spot. This was not Deshaun Jackson beating him. This yeah. was Hightower beating him. So, But still, I mean, I think you're kind of giving Evan Ingram not a pass, but you're giving him a little bit of like, well, it, it, the game was lost before that. No, this offense had the ball and was doing what nobody thought they could do, which was what? Run out the clock. Yeah. And they didn't do it for what reason, Lawrence? What For what reason? You mean the drop pass? Yes. Why didn't they run well, out the clock? Dwayne Gorman gets the ball and gets two first downs. And what are you thinking at that point? Holy and Daniel cow. Jones makes a really nice escape out of there on a third yeah. down maybe. Listen, I – Evan Ingram has a, 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 a little bit of blame here. I, you, people can say a lot. I I played football, so like I look at this differently. I, I, I understand he didn't try to drop the football. There was a bunch of plays in the game that affected the game. Keep keep going, but I'm not buying it. But go ahead. That's fine. But I'm not going to put this all on Evan Ingram because he did have a positive game up until that point. The throw, the interception, Daniel Jones threw the ball way too damn hard on that little slant, but that's another play that everyone will blame him for. I just think you don't give up on talent, okay? And I know everyone wants to throw him to the wolves right now, and I've been harsh on him too on this show, but – he feels horrible today. That's one play that helped the Giants lose the football game. It's not the only reason. I mean, I could point to 10 different things why they lost that game. Okay, but but right. Like I said, anatomy of a disaster. There's a lot of things that contribute to a loss. But sometimes you can point to one play that says, nope. this is why, this is, if you make this play, you win. That was the Eagles were in calling timeout mode. The ball is floated up there. And look, here's another thing that gets kind of thrown out with the wash. Jason Garrett play call there was superb. He dials up a play where he gets his athletic tight end running free on the left side. Daniel Jones floats the ball up there and the game is over. The game is over there if he catches it. It's not a difficult catch. Ingram said, you said he feels bad. He said, it sucks. It's a sucky feeling right now, but 
I'm sorry. He's a first round draft pick. And there's something been wrong with Evan Ingram all year. I don't know what it is. It's like yeah. he, he's not taking to this coaching or something. Uh, you know, this this detail oriented coaching staff. He's a better player than this. Yeah, maybe that's, you know, listen, I agree. I didn't like for me, the one thing that I didn't like and I every player is different was his reaction post drop. It was like a second quarter drop. Exactly. Does that make sense? And it was yes. like. I mean, I wanted to see some bleeped out and mother, you know, for me, hell, you film me in my house. I was cussing. So I just didn't see any emotion. It's like he's playing emotionless football, if that makes any sense. He said, I 100% have to make it. He said, we had the look. We He was devastated after the game. Okay. And in, fa in fact, he was the only one. They brought uh, Jabril Peppers was upset. Blake Martinez was analytical. Daniel Jones was Daniel Jones, flatline. And at one point, Daniel Jones was asked, you guys are all so calm out here. Is anyone really, really upset by this? Is it, and, 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 you know, Daniel Jones said, look, don't mistake calmness for that. We're not disappointed or frustrated. We are, but we can't let that overtake us. Look, it's also a half hour later through Zoom. Everything is sanitized. Yeah. I get that. But fans always want players to open a vein after these games. Right, guys? We, they yeah. want players to open up a vein. I remember a famous story of in Boston when the Red Sox were coming back on the Yankees, right? They were down 3-0 and ended up winning that series. And three Red Sox were seen out eating in Boston, okay, at, after a devastating loss in the world, in, in the um, ALCS. And fans ripped them. Look at these freaking guys. They're eating after they just lost to the hated yeah. Yankees. And it's yeah. like, right, Lawrence? Yeah, you, you, I saw a Golden Tate tweet last night, like an hour after the game, and people were just killing him because he was tweeting Slay, the corner for who was his old teammate in Detroit. I don't have a problem with that. Listen, I really don't. I think for three hours, you're a fo pro football player. Maybe, you know, you take an hour. It was an hour after the game that he can you can tweet at his buddy. It was some funny kind of tweet about Warzone. He said, don't even think about asking me to revive you in Warzone. Yeah. I'm letting you bleed out. Yeah, so... Some people take great offense to that because I don't think players that have not been in New York very long realize how invested our fan base is, and that's why it's the greatest sports city in the world. Our fans absolutely love you, cherish you, and worship you if you win. They do. and they. And, but listen, on the flip side of that, they die when you lose. They die. And it just hurts their fans. Listen, I'm a fan now. That went that loss yesterday hurt a little bit watching them because I wanted it so bad for just Joe Judge. His family's from Philly. His family's in the suite. You're seeing this, and he how how cool would that have been for these players and for him to do that? And they just didn't get it done. And the fans, like you said, were riled up. One of them, like we are, is our associate producer Sarah McCrory. And Sarah was texting me, and she was kind of fed up. Sarah, tell us who you were watching the game with and how you were feeling. Oh, man, I was fired up last night. I took all these notes. I wanted Evan Ingram's head on a spike. <laughs> but listen, like, I've gotten to sleep on it, and I'm at the point where I'm just disappointed. But I did watch the game with my Eagles fan roommate. That wasn't fun. It's a bloodbath. But... Did you guys throw anything at each other? Any remotes thrown? Look, she was talking shit the whole day. I yes. woke up to the Eagles fight song, and I just sat back and I said, look, I'm not saying anything. Even when we were up 21-10, I was like, I'm still not saying anything. And you know what? I'm glad I didn't say anything. Well, well, Sarah, what were you doing in 2013? Where were you in your young life in 2013? 
In the fall of 2013, I was a freshman in college. That's the last time the Giants won in Philadelphia, okay? So I am here for you. We can have an intervention, okay? Because Giants fans know Chuck Bignarek laid out Frank Gifford many, many years ago. Joe Pizarczyk fumbled the damn ball, and Herm Edwards picked it up against the Eagles. Matt Dodge, Lawrence... You were oh. in the building, right? Matt Dodge to the Sean Jackson. So now we have Evan Engram and Sarah McCrory wanting his head on a spike. Uh, that was just, excellent. That was a great quote, by the way. You, Look, you're just you're just part of the long litany of Giants Eagles horribleness. You know who says I want heads on spikes are the Game of Thrones fans. Yeah, that's I'm exactly one of where that came from. <laughs> head on a spike. Yeah, yeah. But look, I'm always like a super optimistic fan. Even when we suck, even when we're getting blown out, I'm always looking for the silver lining. And like, I was pissed last night. So for me to be mad and for me to put on my Snapchat story, 10 screenshots and I'll burn a Giants jersey, like that's, mm-hmm. I'm that mad. I'm I'm about to be a Bills fan. <laughs> Guys, you, you want to say, you know, all these, Evan, you want to say you feel bad, Tynesy, for Evan Ingram. This was a first round pick who has done nothing since he's got here. He's been whoa, hurt whoa, whoa, a majority of the say time. That? I don't think I ever said I feel bad for Evan Ingram. Would you trade Evan Ingram if, if you got a, you know, a, say you got Listen, a fourth round pick? Everyone on for him. that roster, everyone on the roster is tradable for the right price. It's every single player. Say you get a fourth round pick for Evan Ingram. Do you do it today? No, because I'm not giving no. up on talent. See, here's Listen, the, here's I'm not the giving thing. up on him yet. Players equal contracts, right? Why are people so upset about Leonard Williams, who is playing good football? Yeah. Because he makes 16 freaking million dollars. Evan Engram is cheap. He is Very in the fourth year of a first round contract. They picked up his fifth year option. He is not expensive next year. Now, look, Joe Judge may look at this after this season and say, you know what? Evan Engram is not my kind of player, you know, and, and a game like this game will go in Joe Judge's head and say, he's not a winning player, even though he's a talented player. I don't want him. That's a discussion for another day. But this is about, look, it's not about, they're one in six. This is not about plowing back into the NFC East race. This is about extracting every ounce of information you can moving forward to make this team better. And I thought Joe Judge was very revealing after this game, okay? He said, we should know now after all these games how we have to play as a team. We know we have to be a team that's got to grind out wins. We have to do things just a little bit tougher, and that's all right. Translation, Joe Judge is saying, my team is not good enough. He knows it. We all know it. And now it is the point of between A now and the end of the season. How do we figure out who stays and who goes? Hmm. That's it. That's it. That's what the season's all about. And you, I thought they were good enough to beat the Eagles last night with some stupid penalties. The but. Eagles, the Eagles were bad enough to lose to anybody. I mean, sure. it, you know, the, Carson the Eagles Wentz, are bad. We got to tip our cap to Carson Wentz. He balled. Like I, the one thing I'll respect about Carson Wentz is, man, it doesn't matter who's out there. He will just throw the football. And he that throw he made to Scott, man. That's a football. I mean, I thought Peppers had really good coverage. He put the ball in the one spot where you could fit it in, and Scott makes, makes a hell of a catch. But Carson but, Wentz balled last night. But, you know, we can, uh, you know, get on, you know, mm-hmm. Ryan Lewis, who's just a, a journeyman cornerback. Jabril Peppers is a first-round pick, as we said, just like Evan Ingram. The Giants insisted they get him back in a trade with Odell Beckham Jr. They think he is a cornerstone defensive player. Boston Scott is what, five foot seven on yeah. a good day? Yeah. Right. I mean, Carson Wentz himself, it's first in goal. It, it's from the 18 yard line after a penalty. OK, all you have to do is keep the ball in front of you with time running out. And yeah. you know what Carson Wentz said about that play? I was pretty surprised when we pulled that off. 
I mean, he didn't yeah. even think they could do that. I mean, well, they brought the safety down, I thought, because Peppers had to trail him. So he saw something he liked. I mean, Carson Wentz really played well yesterday. I'm just going to tip my cap to him. I'm not a huge fan, as you guys know. But he, man, the thing I like about him is he will just, he's got a little Brett Favre in him. He, he just throws it. That, I, don't, that, I don't think he played that well. He threw a – I mean, if if Daniel Jones threw the interception that Carson Wentz starts, first of all, he's playing against the Giants' defense. They were throwing the ball all day. I, I hear what goes on in Philly. If if they don't make that last play and they lose, he is getting roasted. I don't think sure. he played great. The interception was brutal that he I threw. actually agree with Paul, and I think, you know, he was on his ass a lot. He was holding on to the ball for a while, which we know Daniel Jones does a lot, and the Giants were yeah. coming after him. So I agree. And he was 25 well, or 43. He did what he had to do at the end of the game, and we haven't seen our guy do that. I'm going to tip my cap to him. For you guys, Corey Ballantyne, he was bad. Can you take me through that, the, uh, the punt where nobody was on him, and he he, he doesn't look up. I, th- I think that was a chance for them to convert there, and he doesn't look up. Nobody is in his area code. What You're, you're a kicker. They, special they team will, Take listen, there's no – like. listen, I saw Riley Dixon. He saw it. Yep. But there, I guarantee you for all the special teams, Acumen, and that on that team, T-Mac, Coach Quinn, and, and, and Coach Judge, there's no way – I don't think they've ever probably covered that. Where, you know, he looks in and Ballantyne waves. He goes, look, no one's out here. Like, there's no way. Now, obviously, Riley Dixon can see it because he can see the full picture, right? But Ballantyne was, I don't think they have a code when you're uncovered that that he has a green light to throw to football. I mean, come on. There's no way. Not in that position. But he was looking for it. You're not going to wave. You're not going to say, hey, Dixon, I'm open. Like, because Dixon was looking right at him, ready to throw to him, and he just wasn't paying attention. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's one play. They're also, you know, Sterling Shepard was down a yard short, would have been fourth down on the on the goal line down there so bunch of different plays we keep adding them all up right there's there's about 10 different plays or as paul says the anatomy of a loss whatever boxes we're checking here yeah no it it was you know down the stretch they did everything wrong and that's how you lose a game you do everything wrong uh uh, like I said, what, seven penalties in the last six minutes? Yep. Um, and look, these are guys who they – this is not, you know, Ryan Lewis, Corey Ballantyne. I mean, these are dime a dozen guys, right? These are guys who probably will not be on the team next year. Really? I like Ryan Lewis. Okay, I fine. But, I, I mean, he uh, had a bad I, I, game. I'm, I'm, I, think, cutting, but... I think he's a hold-the-fort guy for now. But look, James Bradbury, pass interference down the stretch. Logan Ryan, defensive holding down the stretch. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Jabril Peppers gets beat. I mean, this was yeah. not a breakdown by the weak links on defense. This was the Eagles beating the best the Giants have on defense. And fouls that's are going to happen. That's fouls are going to happen. They're, they're, they're just – Bradbury's going to get more. So is, is Logan Ryan. I mean, that's just the nature of the position, especially the way the game's called now. I mean, Deion Lewis had a big fumble, right? I mean, we haven't talked much about that. So everyone contributed to the loss. You know, it's just an unfortunate – it's just a crappy way to end the game. And they played so well for so long, and then, boom, they lose. Let's wrap on this, guys. NFC East, before Bruce Beck uh, hops into the show here, is – do, do you see a favor? Are the Eagles now the team to beat in this division, or is it the Cowboys, or do the Giants come back here? Ooh, yeah. I like the Eagles. I mean, just after what I saw last night, I guess it's the most recent NFC East win, so I'm going to go with them. Yeah, I, I thought even before this game. Now, as the game was going on, the Giants are winning 21-10. I'm thinking, man, the Eagles are really rotten. But um, uh, I, look, the Eagles have the best quarterback. Uh, I, I don't love Carson Wentz, but the Cowboys quarterback is hurt. The, the Washington is, is you know, is, is a terrible team. The Giants are a terrible team. So I think the Eagles can can go to 7-9 and nine and win this division, 8-8 eight and eight and win this division. Uh, and they are incredibly banged up. So yeah. if they get some players back, 
I mean, I mean, the one thing that I, I kind of failed to mention is that the Eagles were devastated. They had starters on both sides of the ball out. So this was not the best shot Eagles that the Giants lost to. This is an Eagles team that really should have lost to about 28 teams in a league, and uh, the Giants happened to be that 29th team. Well, it's an oh. Eagles team that would have to go 6-9-1 uh, and one, or 7-8-1 and one, uh, to win the division because they have that tie. So we'll see. It might be a six- or seven-game winner. Let's chat next with longtime NBC New York sports reporter. He's one of the best, Bruce Beck, right here on Blue Rush. Joining us now is a staple on your television screens here in New York since 1982. You saw him on the MSG Network from 82 to 94, and for the past 22-plus years, you see him on NBC New York, whether that's, you know, Channel 4, if you're HD now, Channel 504 on some cable providers, as their lead sports reporter, anchor, and the host of Sports Final on Sunday nights, where Paul Schwartz has appeared many times. He also at one point, get this, called Hofstra Football Games. Rest in peace to Hofstra Football, my former school. This guy has been named the New York Sportscaster of the Year nine times, including six in a row from 2007 to 2012. He's a dynasty in himself. He's even got two New Jersey Sportscaster of the Years in the 90s as well. He's the winner of eight New York Sports Emmys, a Mid-Atlantic Sports Emmy, three National Cable Ace Awards. He's a Metro West Jewish Hall of Famer. This guy is like the Bill Russell of collecting hardware here. You catch him <laughs> hosting the Bruce Beck Sports Broadcasting Camp at Iona College. You can follow him on Twitter at Bruce Beck 4 ny and the same on Instagram. It is the legendary Bruce Beck. I hope I did you right with that intro, Bruce. Welcome to Blue Rush. Oh, thank you very much. Tynesy, I think, could you do a eulogy? I really want to hire you now. <laughs> Listen, Jake has a knack for having, I think, the best intros in the business. It's really the first thing. Even Victor Cruz said, hey, I, can you walk around with me on a daily basis and just introduce me? Well done, Jake. Well done. He's the best. Hey, you're only as good as your last cast, guys. Come on, forget about the credentials. Yeah, on to the next. Uh, Bruce, welcome to the show. Obviously, Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz here. I'm glad to have you on, man. I know you and Paul talk all the time on your your Sunday show. You guys have talked in the in the booth. You maybe talk over Zoom these days. Um, we're glad to have you on. What did you think of uh, last night and uh, the just devastating Giants loss of the Eagles? I mean, it was just a crusher. I was actually doing the news, trying to look over, and that last drive was unfolding while I was doing my cast. And I looked over, and 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 Dan Kerber, who's our our producer yells to me because I can't read what he's writing, 22-21. Oh, my gosh. Is it possible that they could have scored Eagles two touchdowns in the final 438? I mean, it, it just – it's almost like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's almost like when teams start to lose, they figure out ways to lose, and this was another example last night. Hey, Bruce, it's Paul. Good to hear you. Uh, um, I, you know, I, I like to call you the, the, the human exclamation point. Um, you, you, you are always, you, you, I mean, you never are down seemingly. Um, every, it, Bruce, is it every tweet that you send out has an exclamation point? Is that accurate? Almost everyone, Glauber, Bob Glauber always, always says to me, you know, you got a double exclamation point nowadays if you really want to keep it going. But I, I think maybe I should curtail the exclamation point sometimes I, I certainly do when things are are related to something sad but 
yeah, I, I guess I just go after it with a lot of vigor, Paul. Bruce, you have to dance with the one who brung you, right? And you are an exclamation right. point. That's, that's what everyone loves about you. Now, let me ask you, you've been at NBC, what, 22 years? Is that right? This is. I, I think I'm going into my 24th, actually, now, starting in November. Who, who were the sports anchors in New York when you started at NBC? Scott Clark, Len Berman, and Warner Wolf. That is not a business that caters to a lot of longevity, especially now. Is there one thing, there's a lot of young people who listen who want to do what you do. Is there a secret to longevity other than, which I know about you, working harder than everybody else? Because that's what you do. But other than that, is there something else that is a secret to lasting so long in a cutthroat business? I always tell the younger guys that there's three keys to success, that it doesn't have to be broadcasting. It can be in any field, and it's attention to detail, preparation, and the number one thing is relationships. And Lawrence knows this well. You have to, you have to figure out a way to build something strong with an athlete, with a coach, with a sports information director, with another broadcaster, something where you kind of develop a trust and you get the ability to get some good stuff out of them, and then you really – buy into their lives too and you believe in it you know you 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 have to invest and for me it's all about relationships I can't tell you how many numbers I have on my phone that are from all the athletes that have been a part of the New York sports scene for the last 25 years and it's it's just you care and you go to cover their charity events as well and I think Paul just to last you want to continue to grind, continue to work hard, never take yourself too seriously, make the game and the sports the story, not yourself, and be trustworthy enough where you can get information without having to beg for it because guys believe in you and trust that you're not going to screw something up. That's very well said, Bruce. This is Lawrence. Hey, I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said because as a new player coming to New York, I think you're one of the first people I spoke with. And just instantly, you know how to build relationships and make people feel comfortable. But having said that, I, every locker room has a feel, right? Every team, every year, it's different. I want to kind of get your take on this football team. Obviously, you guys haven't been in the locker room, but when you guys are talking to these coaches and players, what is there a feel? Is there an aura? Do you feel like they're confident? Do you feel like they're believing in what's going on? Like, what is the feel of this current Giants football team? I, I think this team and this coaching staff is going in the right direction. I think they like Joe Judge. I think they want to play for Joe Judge. I think this is quite different than it's been the last two or three years. I know there's a lot of famous Judge-isms that we're hearing now. Play better, coach better. Look at the film. It's about moving forward and executing. A team's identity is based on how you correct your mistakes. It's about the process. We got to be 1-0 this week. I hear that stuff all the time. And sometimes, you know, I say, oh, gosh. But at the same time, I think Joe Judge believes in what he's doing. And I, I think he cares about the guys. And so I think the locker room right now, except for the losing, which has a way of kind of wearing on you, I think that they do believe in the coaching staff and think that they have a chance, but something happens in the game at the end where they either don't execute, they commit a penalty, which doesn't make sense, or for some reason, everything goes south. And I just believe that you have to learn how to win. There's something about the Yankees and the Mets. The Yankees want to win championships. They strive for it. They know how to win. 
the Mets have been trying to get that formula for years, but it's just not the same. So I think there is a feel in a locker room. And Lawrence, your team's had it better than, than most teams when they won championships in New York. But I think this team and this locker room is solid. I just don't know if there is enough talent right now to make a difference to get this team over the top. And Bruce, um, you know, you talk about the locker room, right? And it is frustrating. You know, I, I do work in the locker room. I can't go in there. Uh, Lawrence has, you know, been, you know, as a kicker, he's been in locker rooms forever. You do your work in a locker room. Jake, our host here, he likes to hang out outside locker rooms, but they will never let him in the locker room. Obviously. <laughs> let me but that, in! But, that, but that's another story. Shots fired. But, but, but what are you missing about the locker room? And do you have any moment where you, would, you could tell us that one or two either devastatingly difficult or devastatingly maybe triumphant locker rooms that you've been in, maybe the worst one. I mean, we've been in locker rooms that have been deathly quiet and just, you know, like a morgue. I mean, any, anything that comes to mind because we're all missing a locker room now, right? Through with the pandemic, it's all zoom, no locker room. Yes. I would say the worst locker room I was ever in was St. John's university college basketball against, they had just lost a crusher to Ohio state in Knoxville in the NCAA tournament. And I I was in the locker room with a bunch of guys and the players had towels over their heads and nobody could talk. Nobody could talk. And finally, Dom Sienna, the sports information director, turns to me and goes, it's okay, Bruce, you can start. And I started with this guy, Tyrone Grant. And I finally got up to start talking. And Eric Barkley was the was the St. John's one of their star players, and and he was crying. And it, it's it's been difficult. I've had Jeter after after a loss didn't want to come out and talk to us. It was one of the early years when they were eliminated that he wasn't used to. And and Tory talked to him afterwards and told him that he's the face of the franchise. He needs to go out and do it. We waited like a really long time because I had to race out to do the news. And after Tory talked to him that day, he calls him Mr. Tory Jeter does. Uh, he never did that again. He always was among the first when the Yankees were eliminated. That was an unbelievable lesson that was taught. So I, I've seen dejection. How about when the Giants lost in San Francisco? That was that was crazy. That was uh, they were up 35 to three and they lost 38 35 in the playoffs. Paul, one of the most devastating losses ever. And that was the two Matts. Let's see who was it? Matt Bryant? Was it Matt Matt Allen? Matt Allen and Matt Bryant, right? And and and, and, and Trey and, Junkin, the snapper. And Trey, Trey Junkin. Junkin. First, Matt Allen was my punter and holder at Troy. We were both wow. good buddies. Yeah, we played together at college. And I I was on the sidelines and I didn't really realize what had happened on that last play where they were throwing a pass to Richie Seibert and and it was a bad snap and they're now the game is over and Jimmy Roberts my cameraman goes to me let's go and I say why he goes the game is over I say, okay okay so sometimes you don't know what to ask or what to do and I asked the best question I ever did because I didn't know what happened it was so fast and it was so confusing and I ran up I ran up to to Matt Bryant and I said what happened <laughs> and it was a great, it was a great question and, and and he goes you know it was like worst snap i've ever seen didn't know what to do and then i go and he goes never had a chance so i go up to matt allen and getting him off the field and i said never had a chance huh <laughs> and he goes nope Nope, never had a chance. And then I went into the locker room and I got Trey Junkin, who and all the guys were in the were were in the press conference with Fossil. And he goes, I said all along all year, it's gonna be three things. The snap, 
the hold and the kick. And that's what happened today. We got beat by that. So I heard that. That was my golden bite. I ran into the locker room to beat everybody else. There was one writer in me and Trey Junkin sitting with his face to the locker, turns around and says, I'm going to say this once, and that's it. I just cost 53 players. Chance to go to Super Bowl, and, and, and then he, three bad, and then he reti- he retired on the spot. Yeah, remember that, right? He, he, and he goes, "I've had three bad snaps in my life, and two are today. I'm never gonna snap again." Holy gosh, Jimmy and I had enough. We raced out of the locker room. I got to get this on the news, and I said, "It, it was like I put together those three sound bites. Uh, what happened? Never had a chance." Never had a chance, huh? Got the answer for that. And then Trey Junkin, I, I crossed the team. It was like, I think it was 22 seconds, but it was like gold. Like, you just never know. But it, we, we've had some euphoria over the years, and we've had some great runs by the by the Yankees and all the other teams. But no, we haven't had a championship since the Giants won in 2012 and the Yankees won in, in 2009. It's been a long, hard time coming. So I am used – if anybody's used to dealing with disappointment in locker rooms, and I'm sorry I gave you a long answer, but this – I have been around on both sides and it's been bad lately. It was a great answer. And, you know, that was a great fossil impression you just did too. Pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> as I recover from the uh, the left hook hit by me from Paul Schwartz. Uh, on that point, actually, New York sports, is this the worst since you've been in New York that you've seen it just across the board? I feel like since you got here in the 80s, there was at least one team that was doing well. But right now, it's just across the board, just losing. Yes, it's been a, it's been a very bad stretch. When we, we first started going... I started at NBC in 97, so basically, if you include the 96 championship, the Yankees won four and five years. The Giants won two Super Bowls. The Knicks went to the NBA Finals. Yes, the Knicks. The Nets twice went to, to the NBA Finals. The Devils won three Stanley Cups during, during my run. The Rangers went to the, to the Stanley Cup Finals. Rutgers women went to the Final Four. We had an unbelievable stretch. The Jets went to two AFC championship games. I mean, and now it has just been a really difficult stretch. The Yankees have, have gotten close to a World Series recently, but haven't gotten there. The Mets have been bad. The Knicks have been horrible. The Rangers are starting to build something, but it's been a little bit of a, of a quiet period there. The Giants and Jets are going through this you know, this stretch, which is unprecedented. When I look at the Giants and think of that in their last 55 games, they're 13 and 42 regular season, 13 and 42. And the most wins they've had in the regular season is five in the past three and a half years. It's just been a a brutal stretch and we're doing the best we can. It's always easier to cover sports when teams are winning, but I always go, if the Giants and Jets play on a Sunday and one team loses and one team wins, where do you think I go, Paul, on Monday morning? I go to the team that loses. It's usually the better story. When we were doing all the winning and Super Bowls and stuff like that, what is, as a reporter, as a, a media person in the biggest sports market in the world, what is that like for you guys? I mean, obviously, going to the Super Bowl is fun, right? Because you guys get to go to the Super Bowl, too. Yes. I mean, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun when the teams are winning and people are tuning in. So you want your you know, you want the audience. And there's something about the excitement about doing, you know, it. what really happens, Lawrence, is that sports bridges news. And that's when the Yankees become the A block, what we call that becomes the news part as well as sports. Now you want the fan reaction. Now you want the human interest stories. Now you want the fan that's been around for 65 years. So there is something definitely 
better to that aspect. Now, it's, it's fun in the controversial times when guys are mad, when Shockey says to me, well, you never play, you would never know. And I said, what does that have to do with the question I'm asking? I can ask a good question. Even if I didn't play, even if I did not play, I can ask you an honorable good question. I hate when they do that. Well, if you would have played, you'd know. But it's it's always better to cover teams that are, that are winning. I mean, I, I've covered 173 Yankee playoff games, 190 baseball postseason games overall. It, it's great to go on the road and cover a team when there's energy, excitement, and the city builds around it. When the Yankees win, you know, th- th- there's an energy in New York. When the Rangers won their first Stanley Cup in 54 years and exercised the ghosts of Red Dutton in 1994, there was something magical about it. It's, this is a franchise that had lost all those years. When the Giants won those two championships, I mean, the city was a buzz, especially the first time, because no one expected it. And Eli took them on the road to win four games. And Tides, Tides performed, Paul, one of the great, great kicks ever. I mean, no one realizes how hard it is to kick a ball when it's, when it's 10 below zero. And his foot still hurts to this day. And to think about him kicking that 47-yard field goal, which is the longest ever in Lambeau history, in overtime after he basically had to talk Coughlin to let him go back on the field to do it, nobody realizes how hard that was. Lawrence could probably tell us someday how much how difficult that kick was, but we applaud efforts like that, and we love athletes that maybe don't always succeed in the first attempt, but do the second time. There's a toughness, there's there's a passion, there's an energy that that we that we just love. Well, Bruce, first of all, if you are going to lo- sing praises to my co-host Lawrence Tynes, ne- we we <laughs> never have you on again, okay? Because that's his head okay. is already big enough after that. Look, you have to ask you have to ask the tough questions. I went to Lawrence in that dungy, cold, frigid locker room at Lambeau Field. Anyone can ask him the easy question, right? How do you feel to kick the game winner? You got to go ask the guy, why'd you miss the two damn kicks before that? We could have been out of here a half hour ago, right? That's true. Yeah. There was one bad snap. There was one bad snap, I remember, though. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Appreciate that. Bruce recognizes a bad snap. He, it's ingrained in his head from the tray junk in misery. Bruce and the knows, bad snaps. Oh, knows man. what it's supposed to look like. I appreciate you, Bruce. Well, you're right about the questions, though, Paul. You have to ask the tough question, and you have to be fair. And I think I'm allowed to get away with it a little more because I cover the teams so, so much that – I remember asking Paul O'Neill when he was in a slump a question. He got mad at everybody else, but he really didn't get mad at me because I was there. And some, and Mark Teixeira, the same thing. Sometimes athletes are less you know, upset if you're there and they know that you're covering rather than just blowing in and then somebody says, why are you in such a bad slump? Why can't you hit? Or, or, <laughs> or why can't you throw a completion? Like, you know, somebody's talking to Daniel Jones about all these turnovers. Look, I said last night, one of my questions to Daniel said, I just said, hey, what happened on, on the 80-yard run when you fell down? And he goes, well, <laughs> he tried to explain it. He didn't really quite explain it so perfectly. He said, well, I, I outran my feet or something or whatever. whatever he's, I outran my run, which is not exactly what – but I know what he was trying to say. He tried to run faster than his body was used to. That's really what happened. Yeah. It was the third fastest uh, quarterback speed and recorded in the last three years, they said. But real quick, would you rather cover Daniel Jones, Eli Manning type personality or a Baker Mayfield? 
I think for TV, the Baker Mayfield is better because you never know what they're going to say. And there have been athletes over the years, even Strahan, who who was a character, is pulling those in the locker room. And there were times where he said he wasn't going to talk today. And I stood in his locker and, and Fooch stood to the left of his locker and we kept badgering him. And, and I kept saying, Michael, we just need one bite and then we'll leave here. Probably goes, all right, OK, Bruce Beck, <laughs> I'm going I'm going to do this, you know, like. We, we, we like athletes that, that chirp and, and, and say stuff that, that's going to make headlines. Um, but we respect Daniel Jones and we respect Eli in, in, in a lot of ways because they're able to take the hit for the team. They don't throw people under the bus. Last night, Jones didn't throw Evan Ingram under the bus. Eli never really threw a teammate under the bus. Jeter was like that too. Messier was the best I've ever seen as a leader in New York sports. There's guys who handle themselves differently and you have to adapt to to what they say but we love yeah we we love a guy that'll that'll say something when Le'Veon Bell was talking when Jamal Adams talks we want to go into the locker room because we never know what they're going to say and sometimes they put their foot in their mouth but it's it's great theater and 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 that's definitely the best for for us for TV rather than being boring you know a coach that gets mad at everybody like when Herm Edwards went you 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 play to win the game. That was great theater. It was great stuff. But you can't make it up. You, it's just got to naturally evolve. Have you ever gotten in a fight or altercation? I'm curious with a player. Any? And we know Steve Serby has a famous story from the '80s. Uh, I think it was with Richard Todd. Did, have you ever witnessed either you have or any any uh, re- fellow reporter have? I, I've seen arguments ensue between writers and. Uh, and also announcers and athletes. I had an athlete in a Yankee postseason game was one of the relievers, and I asked him a question, and he got mad at me. I once asked Bernie Williams, who I had a wonderful relationship with, I said, Bernie, do you take responsibility for this loss? It was a playoff game against Minnesota at home, and and I didn't do it in a malicious manner, manner, but Bernie had made an error in the field, and he had, in a clutch situation, did not come through at the plate, and he, he went, well... Um, I never really thought of it that way. Uh, um, I'm disappointed. And you know what? I, I realized the next day that I put him on a spot that wasn't really professional. I mean, I could have done a better job in the way I posed the question. So I waited for him at the bottom of the stairs at the old Yankee Stadium. And when Bernie came down the stairs, I said, Bernie, I just want to say something. I, I think I handled it poorly yesterday. I have a great relationship with you for many years. Didn't mean to embarrass you. I think I could have phrased it differently. And he was like, yeah, I was really surprised at you. And, uh, oh, okay, uh, you know, all right, Bruce, I appreciate you doing it. Like, I had, a, I had a thing with Anthony Mason of the Knicks once where I was asking everybody about the way the Knicks were moving the ball. And I asked him directly if, if Ewing had to get the ball more and – he got mad at me and he said his mother was mad at me. Like sometimes the mother tells him stuff that we say. So it does happen. I mean, but sometimes I'm big enough to admit I made a mistake. But I once asked Riley a tough question and he got pissed. And I went to apologize to him later. But I walked away saying, you know what? I'm supposed to ask that question. So I don't know what the perfect answer is. But I think you just have to be tough and fair. Jeter told me that a long time ago. If you're tough, but fair, no one can ever get mad at you, and that's the rule that I try to play by. Well, Bruce, you do a terrific job, and I, you know, I've seen you at a few of those charity events, so I can attest that you are always out there in the community as well. Um, last one, I'm just curious, where do you put all your hardware, all these New York sports cast of the years and Emmys? Do you have like a, a Bruce Beck Naismith uh, sports reporting Hall of Fame in your house? <laughs> 
I, I have a, a man cave. I have an office with all my manila folders that are saved from every year. They're all filed away. My, my wife always argues with me because I have newspapers all over the floor and it's like, it's organized chaos or organized confusion, however you want to say it. And there's a couple of trophies thrown away, uh, put up here on the roof here and on top in, in my office. And I've got some, some classic pictures from, from the years, like, you know, with Phelps after he won the eighth gold medal, that that's kind of special with Mariano on the, on the mound after the last game at the old Yankee stadium, where he goes, Bruce, come here. And I jumped on the mound and we took a picture, which is, which is special. You could see that, you know, that was there. And, and then, of course, there's the, the, the mementos of my folks who, who, who I'm nowhere without them. I, I lost them both in the last few years. They they were they were incredible, impactful people, amazing uh, mentors, and and they built the love and respect that I that I've kind of learned. I try to model myself after, and I, I would be nothing without Doris and Felix Beck. So they're included in this myriad of, of hardware and, and pictures and, and, and memories. And, and, and they're the most important aspect of this whole room. Well, Bruce, we love you here in New York. I know you're a busy man. You got grandchildren coming out left and right. So I know you got to take care of your grandkids. <laughs> uh, you got, what do you got? Four now? Three? How many is it? Four grandkids in three and a half years. The boys are really pumping it out. We went from a family of four to a family of 10 in the last six years. So it's, it's a total blessing and uh, it makes it all more fun to do everything, you know? So it is simply awesome. And when I get upset about a team losing or I get upset about blowing some words on a show, sometimes you have to put it all in perspective, especially during this pandemic when, when uh, a lot of people are, are, are going through difficult times. So uh, I'm very blessed to have had great mentors and, and I'm trying to uh, keep that tradition going for the family because I do take it very seriously. Well said, Bruce. You catch them on Sports Final Sunday nights. Catch them on NBC New York, Channel 4, whatever channel is on cable for you. Bruce, we loved having you on, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you later in the season. Appreciate it. Okay, great to be with you and uh, and Tynesy and Paul. Paul's been a guest on my show for so many years. It's great to be a guest on, on his show because uh, he is one of the deans of New York sports coverage for sure. Okay, Bruce, you can come back, okay? Yeah. As long as you don't mention Tynes' game-winning kick, you can come back on this podcast anytime. That sounds fair. I won't mention any of that stuff going forward. Thanks, Bruce. That will say bye-bye to episode 46, the Greg Lasker edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Catch up on all Blue Rush episodes by finding us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Please give us that five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple. For Paul Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. See you all next Thursday as we preview the Giants matchup with Tom Brady and the Bucks on Monday Night Football. Stay safe.